You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Um, Chuck, I know you just got back from a trip to Tulsa. That's why we're recording a day late. Uh, how did that event go? It was pretty good. I, I, um, I, I think I've been to Tulsa through that, that specific airport now like six times in the last two years. So I'm starting to, uh, starting to become a regular. Uh, I ran into a, a bunch of friends, a bunch of people who have been you know, part of our conversation here for a while now, uh, particularly the McAllister uh, people who I, I really have a, a fondness for. And yeah, it was, it was really good. I, I gave a curbside chat in the morning. Um, and then uh, I had two afternoon breakout sessions that were just kind of a continuation of that. Uh, they were very well attended. We had a number of, uh, this is an economic development conference. So Mm-hmm. A group of people that um, maybe hadn't heard uh, our stuff before. There were uh, quite a few people who this was all brand new. And you could see because you had that exploding mind kind of thing going on uh, while I was talking. And yeah, it was it was really good. I think we opened up a lot of people's minds. I think we um, exposed some people to some new ideas. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of people in uh, Oklahoma that are not going to be thinking about their jobs in the same way now, which uh, mission accomplished. Awesome. And now you have a week or two off from events. So that's nice. a little bit. Yeah. Um, we're getting started. Um, school starts next week here. So my kids go back to school on Tuesday after, after Labor Day. And that is traditionally for me, like the kickoff to the, the travel season. So we've yeah. got uh, quite a few things between, uh, really between uh, Labor Day and Christmas that uh, that fill up the calendar, and it's it's fun. Uh, I get back on the road and get meeting people, and I I get energized by that because I always learn so much. You know, mm-hmm. every place I go just adds uh, so much for me, and I'm I'm excited to do it. It's been a nice summer, but it's transitions good too. Yeah, we've got events all over South Dakota, California, Florida, New York, Texas, Michigan. So definitely check out our event calendar and see if we're coming to your area sometime soon. It's just strongtowns.org slash events. Um, and you should also definitely, if you're not already, get onto our email list because we'll always alert you if we're coming anywhere near you. Um, and hopefully you can join us for one of those events. So yesterday... Um, or, well, Sunday night after your busy day of travel, you took the time to write an article, thank you very much, and our audience thanks you, um, about a piece that you had uh, shared with me on, I think it was Friday, and I was initially kind of hesitant, I wasn't really a fan of the article, and then you kind of added some perspective to it, um, which you did really well in this piece you wrote for Monday. So tell me about what drew you to that. uh, You didn't really like it much. Um, (laughs) but my mind has been adjusted. Well, no, it's, that's fine. It's, it's interesting because I I tried to respect the fact that, uh, the people writing it were insiders. And so they were using insider language that sometimes for, for people who don't 
know that language is um is hard it it, it sounds uh almost like flippant like you know Cabousier was uh was um had a disorder and you're like oh no that how can that be and the word disorder um a lot of people think of it as defect and i'm talking about a disorder as in post traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. uh autism spectrum disorder and they look at disorder as uh, a you know synonymous with defect like something's wrong with you and disorder in, in the context that they're using it um, means a lack of order you know it means a mind uh, that is not ordered in the way that a typical mind is ordered um, mm-hmm. you know people on the autism spectrum uh, have, have a hard time processing things. Their brain is actually hyper-connected and overstimulated, and they take in a lot more information. Uh, and, and actually, I take that back. They take in the same amount of information as a typical brain, but a typical brain has developed uh, lots of tricks and shortcuts to essentially silencing and quieting a lot of the stuff that we take in. Um, you don't react to uh, a whole lot of things around you because your brain does a really good job of, of, of channeling them out. Mm-hmm. I, I live four blocks now from the railroad track. And when the railroad comes through at, at night, in the middle of the night, it blasts the, 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 blast the, the horn. It is like for six blocks. It, just, it's, it is loud. It's obnoxious. It's over the top. It is, it is really bizarre what mm-hmm. they do here. When we first moved in a year ago, I heard it every time. Yeah. <laughs> now I've been here a year, don't hear it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my brain has adjusted and has essentially said, like, this noise is innocuous. Just block it out. Don't, mm-hmm. like, don't listen to it. Just filter it out. And the typical brain is, like, really good at doing that. Um, what uh, someone with PTSD, what someone with autism, someone with a disordered brain uh, has a harder time blocking those things out. So they experience things in a very different way. And that, that's, what I, that's what I found fascinating about this article. It was written by uh, an, uh, an architect or someone with an architecture background who also had some psychology training. And then another person who was a, a cognitive psychologist. Mm-hmm. And what, what they put forward was that uh, after, you know, in the time period of World War I, uh, people who were traumatized by war, which was a, a cultural traumatized experience, it, it, you know, yes, the troops were deeply, deeply traumatized, but the entire society was traumatized in, in many ways. I mean, I think about the, the trauma that people felt after 9-11. I have friends from New York that won't talk about 9-11 today. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, and they weren't in the towers, they were just in the city. Yeah. So we, we experienced trauma culturally and the article kind of talked about how, uh, some of the, uh, modernist architecture, uh, it, it, from a, from an ASD, from an autism spectrum disorder standpoint, from a PTSD standpoint, uh, is a lot less stimulative and a lot, uh, maybe more calming to people. And that was likely a contributing factor to its rise and its its prominence, particularly in that period of time. I think what I um, and what some of our readers have kind of clued in on this article and criticized it a little bit is that 
it, it only, it's a short article. It uses a handful of examples of architects and things um, and makes some assumptions about um, those architects to talk about this issue. And I appreciated that your conclusion to the piece was not, well, now we know everything about how somebody with autism processes <laughs> yeah. a building, but rather this is like a really interesting field of study and there's so much more that we could learn from thinking about cognitive uh, science and functioning compared to architecture and urban design, which I think is, yeah, it's a very fascinating topic of study and not really one that I had ever thought about. There's a... There's a piece I shared like four years ago about experts. It was in the, in the context of me writing about traffic projections and how traffic projections are, uh, you know, a, a, a guess <laughs> wrapped in a veneer of, uh, of technical jargon. Yeah. Um, but it, th this, this, uh, this Ted, it was a, like a Ted talk kind of thing. I don't think it was Ted, but it was something similar. She was talking about experts and how we glorify experts in our own field. And we actually hold them up as heroes and we give them more prestige than they have in, in other realms. And one of the things that – one of the points she made was that we develop a certain myopia within our own areas of specialty and our own uh, fields around these experts that, a lot, that, that keep us from seeing a bigger picture. So there's a lot of people when you know, someone from the psychology field – dares to kind of cross over and write about the architecture field, they get mad because they say, you've simplified modernism down to four people and it's this wider movement and it has this deeper history and it has, and they go on and on about all this stuff. And, and the reality is no one from a cognitive psychology standpoint is going to have that level of knowledge of, of architecture. They're just not, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're not going to study it at that depth. But I think the converse then is also true. Um, people who have a real, real depth of knowledge of architecture don't grasp even often the basics of cognitive science. Mm -hmm. And I think we would do well uh, to, you know, uh, stop pretending that anyone is making a, a linear conclusion, you know, uh, PTSD cause modernism. I mean, that's a ridiculous, that's a ridiculous statement. Yeah. I didn't read the original article as, you know, cause and effect. I read it as, you know, there were a whole lot of contributing factors, and this certainly was one that uh, we should think about, and this is certainly one that, that likely had an impact on it. Um, I, I think that that is a real healthy way for people within a specialty to start thinking about uh, other, other specialties. Look, I, I, we've made the case here many, many times that cities are complex adaptive systems. And they're complex adaptive systems because the humans that uh, you know occupy them and live in them and co-create them are complex adaptable systems in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this has always been my critique of the the macro economists who, you know, uh, simplify us down to rational, you know, utilitarian maximizing people. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's ridiculous because we're complex. We do weird things. Um, I think that the the sciences, uh, the, the harder sciences or the harder arts, you know, the, the architecture, the engineering, the planning, we would learn a ton, a ton uh, by studying cognitive science and sociology and psychology and, you know, human anthropology and the history of, of human settlements uh, from a cultural standpoint. I, I think these are frontiers that we need to explore. Um, I've been fascinated with them. I mean, I, I've read 
a couple of books in the last year about the brain and how the brain works and how the brain can rewire itself after suffering trauma and and just uh, things that blow i was just say blow your mind <laughs> mm. uh literally and figuratively uh i think that this is like the next frontier for people who want to truly understand cities and i know you said you mentioned uh that you ordered one of the people who authored that article's book that presumably goes a lot more in depth on this topic. So I'll be interested to hear how that book is once you get it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm excited to get it. I'm a little anxious too, because, um, I mean, it's, it was really expensive. Oh, um, it's like a textbook type thing. Uh, it, it might be like a textbook kind of thing. I mean, it's like 50 bucks. So, wow. I mean, okay. it was, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I, I hope that it lives up to my, <laughs> my expectations. The name of the book, it's uh, by Ann Sussman, I think is her name. It's called Cognitive Architecture, Designing for How We Respond to the Built Environment. And it's funny because a lot of the reactions that we had on the initial article, I mean, someone wrote, you know, I, I'm embarrassed that Strong Towns would share this. And, oh, yeah. You that know, was all they wrote, you? which is, okay, can you yeah. add a little bit more But I mean, pe- people were really mad about the article. And I, I, I think, I, I, I think we're, we're in such a hypersensitive time. And I, I understand, I hope I understand that. And I'm trying to understand that. I'm trying to be uh, sensitive to that. Um, yet th- there, you know, is a certain level of just technical discourse that we have to be able to have without jumping down people's throats. And and I- I've read some of the other stuff now that Sussman has written. She has a web page and, and a bunch of different articles, and I was going through those uh, over the weekend. Um, you know, this is a person who has a deep level of compassion for people with autism and, and has spent her life trying to understand uh, cognitive disorders and, and really under the guise, her articles have really been on architecture have been under the guise of how do we create environments that help people with ASD uh, handle life, make, make life a little easier for them. Yeah. And I think with the rise in, the diagnosis of ASD and potentially amid that a rise in the number of people with autism spectrum disorder. I, I, I don't see how it hurts us to have a conversation about how, you know, our, our environment has been impacted and then has also impacted us yeah. uh, in, in, in relation to people who have autism. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to have this kind of, as you wrote, cross-disciplinary conversation. Um, and no. I, I value that about Strong Towns in general, and especially the fact that we have so many readers and members and listeners from all different types of backgrounds. Um, I think that adds a lot to our conversation. I, I do too. As, as a general rule, like if, if let's just say I'm, I'm in a meeting of engineers and someone from a completely different field comes in and gives an insight um, from their field, but they don't quite grasp like all the depth and nuance of the engineering profession mm-hmm. that I grasp, right? And, and the people sitting with me in the room grasp. The absolute wrong response is to jump up and say, 
you are ignorant. You don't understand what you're talking about because you don't grasp these like 50 things that I get intuitively. Yeah. The proper response is to say, wow, what a fascinating insight from a completely unrelated field. Let's actually explore it in more depth and figure out how, you know, how it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have this concern. How would you respond to that? How would you deal with that? Uh, I, I think we, um, huh, I think we need to get into that just mindset, you know, and, and a, a lot of people are, Facebook is the wrong crucible to, uh, to, to have that kind of conversation sometimes cause people go nutty. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would like to th hope that strong towns is one of those places where when people come with a, a thought, uh, we don't just stand up and say, here's the 10 reasons why, you know, you, don't you know are it. completely, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So on that note of cross-disciplinary welcoming, I want to welcome our newest members to Strong Towns over the last week. Scott Beyer of Charlottesville, Virginia, Glenn Beerworth of Rochester, New York, Hugh Clark of Columbus, Ohio, David Deeds of Waterloo, Iowa, Kurt Jopling of Vermilion, South Dakota, Homo Motabi of Santa Monica, California, Ryan Stedlick of Austin, Texas, Jonathan Tabor of Cedar Falls, Iowa, Craig Tuchek of Brooklyn, New York, and Francis Warnock of Ogleton, Delaware. Thank you, guys. Wow. That's an awesome list of people from all over the country. Thanks for uh, reading and deciding to support what we do here at Strong Towns. Yes. Thank you so much. I, I received a little bit of feedback from my podcast. Actually, I received a lot of feedback from my podcast last week. Um, oh, okay. But one thing in particular that I wanted to bring up real quick, um, I've, a number of times I have given uh, – the example uh, when I talk about complex adaptive systems and our inability to predict the future with them, I often use climate change and the economy as two examples. And I do that very intentionally because when you look at climate change, people on the ideological left are very comfortable with the conclusions of, of climate science. Mm -hmm. And people on the ideological right tend to be a little bit more like, oh, I'm not exactly, I'm not exactly sure about this. Um, and they want to essentially discount them. Mm -hmm. um, when we get to the economy, uh, those things often kind of reverse a little bit. And I give those examples uh, as a way to kind of say, like, look, um, you know, we're both like, – we all do this. In areas where things – conclusions come the way we want them to come, uh, we're apt to agree with them. And where they don't, we're apt to be skeptical. Right. Um, it was pointed out to me, though, that when I do this, I always point out how uh, I, I kind of tend to give comfort to the people who uh, are asserting that like, climate change is not going to be as bad as, as you know, scientific consensus suggests it will be. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to be accurate and honest, um, I would say we don't know what it will be. It could be less. It could be way, way, way worse. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's a very fair observation. Um, that's not the spirit in which I was doing the conversation, but I think that if, you know, if we wanted to be completely technical and accurate, yes, things may be way worse than what science is actually projecting. Now, that is the nature of complex adaptive systems. Uh, I, I certainly don't mean to uh, insinuate that uh, all the, um, you know, all the downside uh, or all the, uh, you know, the potential variability would be on the not as hot side. Mm -hmm. It could definitely be on the other side as well. And, and that's why, you know, when you, when you listen to someone like Nassim Taleb, uh, they will say, 
uh, when it comes to climate, uh, we should not be intervening. You know, we, we should not be essentially like shaking, rattling this cage. You know, what, what are we doing? And he calls his approach a hyper green approach. It's not maybe inspired by the same things that, uh, that your typical climate activist is inspired by. Um, but in many ways, uh, the, the actions that he calls for would be, uh, you know, far, far on the, uh, what environmental people would, would, would want. So I just want to make that clarification because I, I thought it was a good bit of feedback and a good point. Yeah. And if you're interested in the topic that was covered on the podcast on Thursday, um, Chuck is leading a Slack chat this Thursday, uh, at 1 PM central. August 31st, that is. Um, and he'll be discussing all related topics about incremental development. What does it mean to grow incrementally? What are the advantages, disadvantages? Um, and so bring your questions about that topic if you had any related to the many different articles he's been publishing uh, related to that. What have you been reading or listening to, Chuck, lately? Oh, that's a really good question. I... I I live uh, a couple blocks from my high school um, history teacher. <laughs> I had I had AP history. I had this teacher who um, I took philosophy from as a junior in high school, and then the next year uh, he I wasn't signed up for his class, and he kind of got on my case, and he's like, "Why are you not taking history from me?" Hmm. And um, it, it, he's he's. He's probably the most influential teacher in my life that I ever had in terms of, you know, motivating me and inspiring me. I now live a block and a half from him and we've stayed in touch and we're friends and, you know, we go for walks every now and then and I see him out and we chat. Um, I, I was talking to him last week and he we, we were just talking about the world and the way things are going. He He recommended this book to me in the Garden of Beasts. Love, Terror, and an American Family in Hitler's Berlin by a guy named Eric Larson. Huh. And what, what the book is, it went through uh, the, the diaries and the notes of the American ambassador, uh, who was a pretty, like, um, uh, I, I was going to say Truman-esque. Like a, n n he, was a, he was a professor, but he wasn't like uh, an aristocrat. A lot of those appointments would go to very wealthy people. This was a guy who was not wealthy who was, um, you know, a pretty ordinary guy, like brought his Chevrolet over to drive around instead of having a Rolls Royce, uh, which, which most of the diplomats rode in over there. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a pretty like down to earth guy. And he brought his family over basically at, right at the beginning of Hitler's Germany of the overthrow of the Weimar Republic and, and, uh, you know, the ascension of Hitler as the chancellor and then ultimately as the, uh, you know, the, the, the Fuhrer of the Third Reich. He, it, it was fascinating to read and to hear their evolution because they went over there as, you know, a, a apprehensive um, and concerned, but also kind of open-minded and thinking like, all right, I have to work with these people. How, how would this, you know, go? And in fact, uh, the guy's daughter um, was... I mean, I think you could go so far as to say an apologist um, for for the Nazis, uh, you know, and again, this is like early 30s, you know, 33, 34, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and essentially saying, well, you know, this grievance that they have is is right and this grievance that they have is correct. And um, it's just fascinating how uh, things changed 
and how events change them. And it was also fascinating to get the, the kind of telling of the events through a, um, you know, a, a, a third party like this. How, um, you know, the, they were shaped by the events and appalled by the events and, and also how, you know, as being part of the official government, um, how they were limited in their ability to, um, to respond and to do things. There, there was one, uh, one kind of moment where, uh, you know, some, some real horrible things happened and they weren't, you know, the, the official government position from the United States uh, was, you know, directly the antithesis of what your personal opinion would be. And they just, you, you see how, uh, you know, in many ways, if we were, uh, if we had acted differently or if our ambassador had, had the free will to do things differently, like, you know, would things have turned out differently? Would, would, uh, would the, uh, would the dialogue have been nudged in a different way? Uh, would events, uh, you know, the course of history change? It was fascinating to, to read this and to, uh, to ponder that. It was a really, really powerful book. Um, I've also uh, gone back uh, starting last weekend and on the on the trip to Tulsa and back and been listening to Sapiens again. Um, Sapiens was a, a book that I did last year. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, when I recommended Homo Deus to him, said that Sapiens was like the, the best book he'd ever read. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I, I liked it. I had that feeling, but I, I didn't, uh, you know, it wasn't that to me. And I've gone back and I'm doing it again. It's very good. I, I think there's, I think the problem with it uh, is that it's so thick uh, that what I wind up doing is listening for, you know, I, I'm doing this one on double speed audio. I listen for like five minutes and then I just have to stop and think yeah. for like 20 minutes. And then you, you, you listen a little bit again and then you stop and think. It's one of those books that I think I could probably listen to like four or five times and uh, gets, you know, a lot of new stuff out of every time. So... Well, I just wanted to close by saying that um, I know we have a lot of members, readers, listeners in the Texas area that have been affected by the hurricane and flooding, and just wanted to say we're thinking of you guys and sending our thoughts and our care in your direction and hope you all are doing well and that this uh, the recovery starts soon. Um, that's been on my mind lately. I'm not a, I'm not a TV person. So, you know, I tend to get, I tend to get my news, um, on delay, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, the magazines I read and the stuff that I delve into tends to not be like the latest breaking thing. And that's almost intentional for me. I mean, I, I'm, I like a little buffer from the day-to-day -day passions. Uh, I have, I, I did take some time over the weekend to sit down and watch CNN and see some of this. Uh, it's, it, it's devastating. I, I was in, uh, in 97 or 98, I think it was 97. I was in Fargo for the floods. I was in the national guard and we got mm -hmm. mobilized and sent up to Moorhead, which is the Minnesota side of the, of the river. Um, but I was, you know, we crossed over into Fargo and, and, and saw a lot of the stuff that happened. And of course, Grand Forks was, was devastated as part of this too. And I, I just remembered the I remember sitting in the basement of this church on a cot, uh, you know, at night and I'm, I'm fine. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm dry. I've got a full mm -hmm. belly, uh, listening to the radio 
and it was kind of it was the local you know uh like am station and it was j- just a guy there giving updates on where things are going to crest and how bad things are going to get and you know he, he's talking to people and people are calling in and giving their stories and their you know can someone go over and help this person and can we and i i i I was there as part of the rescue, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and just this feeling of helplessness that I had, uh, you know, all these people in this moment of deep despair and, and not be able to, to really do much about it. Um, I just sat for hours and, and listened to this and it was, it was, uh, it was haunting in many ways. Uh, what has happened in Houston just seems like that, you know, uh, more sudden and 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 greater even, uh, and not to belittle what Fargo and, and Grand Forks went through, but a rising river, you know, you, you have this thing that rises up and it it rises up slowly, um, you know, but there's no one who's caught in it and there's no one who's you know overwhelmed by it in a very sudden way. Um, this, you know, much like Hurricane Katrina, it's one of those things where you just step back and and you realize that we've just altered the course of humanity for a generation for a Mm -hmm. a large part of the country. Um, we've changed now migration patterns. We've changed settlement patterns. We've changed family relationships and, uh, and, and, you know, business deals. Um, Houston will recover and will come back, but you know, there, there are things that won't ever be the same. And that's hard to, to get your mind around, you know, in the fourth largest city of the country. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us to grasp this. And there have been a lot of people that have kind of, I think, gratuitously piled on here. You know, oh, if 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 Houston had, had zoning, um, it, you know, or if Houston hadn't, you know, you been so dumb about lots. how they built their – yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you it's can't really dump 40 right – <laughs> No. You, you, well, not only is it not helpful and, and not really respectful and just, you know, uh, yeah. it's it kind of disgusting in some ways. Mm-hmm. You could dump 40 trillion gallons of water on a sandy desert and it's going to flood. Yeah. You know, it, 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 this is not a, um, you know, the, the things we are seeing, uh, the permeability of the soil, uh, even if you didn't have a parking lot and even if you, you know, the, the parking lots and the spread out nature of it and all that. Let's talk about that during the, the cleanup and the recovery, because I, yeah. I do think that there's something to be said about uh, you know, when you, when you spread out like that and you occupy so much low ground and, and so much, you know, threatened space, it, it's going to make, uh, the recovery, you know, really, really, really difficult. I mean, it, 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 prohibitively expensive in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a, that, that's a legitimate thing to talk about, but the idea that their development patterns somehow magnified this is just absurd. I mean, it, it, you, you drop 40 trillion gallons of water on an area, it's going to be flooded. I mean, that's, that was true in, uh, you know, pre-human times. That's true right now. And, um, yeah, let's just cut that out because it's not helpful. Yeah. So to all our Texas friends, we're thinking of you guys and uh, keeping you guys in our thoughts. Very all much. right, everyone. Take care and uh, have a good week. We'll be back with a new podcast on Thursday. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.